There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Hear the full show on our app, by podcast, or on 96FM.ie. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. He takes being cooked to a whole new level. These students can't afford to feed themselves. Do the best you can for your child. And you look around for support and there's nothing there. Just get up and do our best today and that's all you can do. Can we just talk? Call 0818 969696. 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Okay, the last we heard, and it was uh, earlier on this morning, was that uh, Katrina Toomey and Christie are due to reach the border between Poland and Ukraine while we're on the air. Last we heard from them, they were about 30 kilometres out and moving well. So with a bit of luck, we get to catch up with them before the programme's over. Also, one of the greatest comedy shows ever made is coming to Cork. It's absolutely coming to Cork and you'll have an opportunity to go and be part of it. So you will. It's a demented, crazy, mad thing. Yeah. Faulty Towers is coming to Cork and that in plenty. Plus the man who wants to get rid of boring weddings. He wants to do away with boring weddings and he's won an award in the UK for it. All that to come. And it's Friday, so literally anything could happen. Good morning. 0818 96 96 96. To the matter dominating everybody's lives. Dominating the lives of the people of Ukraine for obvious reasons. Obvious, heartbreaking, gut-wrenching, agonising reasons as we watch our televisions, listen to our radios, read our newspapers. But dominating our lives for other reasons because of the impacts, both the ones already and the possible future impacts, on our cost and standards of living. I'm joined uh, by the Minister for Foreign Affairs, Simon Coveney. Minister, good morning to you. Minister, uh, uh, good morning, PJ. Uh, Good to be on this morning. We're we're, we're two weeks into this war now, Minister, and it doesn't look like it's going to end anytime soon. If anything, it's one of those things that could get worse before it gets better. 
And while our, our hearts are with the people of Ukraine and what they're going through and we'll do everything we can for them, it is having a devastating effect already on our economy and that effect is only going to get worse. I'll start with fuel prices because the excise cut in the last couple of days unfortunately seems to have done little or nothing worth talking about. Well, first of all, I, I, and of course, I'll respond to, to fuel prices. But can I just say um, what we're seeing now is uh, the first large-scale war on the continent of Europe since the Second World War. Uh, and I think that that has to be the context for every discussion uh, in terms of how it's impacting on us. Uh, we've already seen about two and a half million people flee Ukraine uh, across the borders into the European Union. A million of those people have come into, more than that actually now, into Poland. Um, so, you know, these are uh, extraordinary numbers mm. uh, driven by by fear, by misery, by violence, by an illegal war uh, that uh, that Russia is is forcing on the continent of Europe mm. uh, by, by brutalizing its neighbor um, and by... Unfortunately, um, you know, and I think the evidence is is, is compelling on this by uh, committing war crimes almost on a daily basis, mm. including in the last few days, uh, directly bombing uh, a, a maternity and children's hospital. Uh, and so, you know, I, I I'm happy to address the fuel price thing, and many families in Cork are under pressure as a result yeah. of that. But I think we do have to remember what's driving this. Um, Minister, we I think we do. In fairness, we do all. We do all get that. And I think the massive humanitarian response—the truckloads, the van loads, the bus loads of stuff being filled, the tens of thousands of euro being raised in aid appeals—I think that shows yeah. that the Irish yeah. people absolutely yeah. do care. But here at yeah. home, and, we still have kids that, to clothe and feed. The, we the still thousand- have jobs to go to. Yes, and uh, some of those clothes, uh, are, some of those kids to to clothe and feed will be will be Ukrainians coming to sure. Ireland. Thousands of sure. them, uh, and uh, and I hope that. Well, I know that Cork families uh, will be as generous as uh, absolutely. As We've spoken; right they the already are. People are already yeah, giving yeah. up everything that they have yeah. to, to help. Yeah. Can we come to the fuel prices? So, so absolutely, absolutely, we can. But I, I'm the minister for foreign affairs, so I have to, I have to obviously uh, put a context uh, around. Where and I'm I will come back to that. I promise you. I promise you. We, we, um, we, you know, but on the fuel prices, on the fuel prices, like you know, let me just say, you know, what what the government did this week was was never going to. Um, uh, make everything okay uh, and get prices back to where people um, think they should be. Um, but I think it is true to say that um, while prices have have increased uh, and many people would question uh, whether every garage um, um, uh, has been as responsible as they should be, um, but um, the what we did this week as a government was what we were able to do legally in terms of the EU energy tax directive. So we, we reduced excise by as much as we could within the rules. What the Taoiseach has been doing over the last 24 hours is speaking to EU leaders about whether or not those rules can, can allow us to be more flexible and to do more. Mm-hmm. We've also seen in the last two days um, the wholesale price uh, of, of fuel come down. And so we should be seeing reductions over the next day or two at the pump in terms of price. There is no reason why that shouldn't happen. That is a very good thing. But why did it happen, and did anyone know why it happened, that the minute we heard it coming out of government, and it was welcome, absolutely welcome, that if you take petrol, we were going to get a 20-cent cut in excise. That was very, very welcome. But why 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 was it allowed 
that nearly every second fuel station put its petrol up by 20 cent in anticipation of that? Well, I mean, that's something that we've, um, well, many people have called for the uh, Competition and Consumer Protection Authority to look into. Um, and I think they should do that rigorously because if it is the case um, that any petrol stations were effectively price gouging on the back of the misery of war, which is what's driving up prices, certainly in the last 10 days, uh, that is totally unacceptable. Now, I think we have to be fair as well. You've got to do uh, something about it. It's un- unacceptable is one yes. thing, but doing something about it is another. Yeah, but the government doesn't control prices at the pump. The government has agencies to investigate whether but you have or not the power to do that under the Consumer Act. You could, you, you could, you could well, forbid them to do it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, and they are forbidden from doing it, uh, and that's why the the Competition and Consumer Protection Authority needs to uh, needs to look at that in detail. Um, because um, you know, as I say, if it's the case. Um, that prices were deliberately put up in anticipation of an excise cut. That's not acceptable. Um, but I, I can't say definitively on the radio that that happened. Well, I'm sorry, Minister, now, to be fair, a, a simple drive around the other couple of, a couple of mornings ago and the, yeah. the people that contacted this programme. And there is a, you, you'll be aware, well aware, of the Consumer Protection Act of 2007. That, that, that could have been forbidden. And that could be, and and prices could be locked. Why wasn't that done? Well, prices can't be locked. Actually, um, my understanding is that under competition law, we can't set fuel prices um, um, across Ireland. Because what about the Consumer Protection a, Act of two thousand and seven, which allows in you to intervene at a time of economic well, emergency, like a war? Y- yeah. Yes. What we but but what we need to make sure isn't happening uh, is that anybody is taking advantage of war and misery in order to try to increase their margins on selling fuel. What, what, uh, what, other, what other explanation could there be other than putting up the price at the pumps by 20 cents in anticipation of an excise cut of 20 cents? What else could be going yes, on? Yes, and, I, and I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not an apologist for, uh, for the fuel industry, right? And I'm saying if that happened, it needs to be exposed. Oh, it did. Oh, it did happen. Um, the photographs are there. <laughs> People took photo, photographs <laughs> no, of the price, to, of, yeah, of the price yeah, boards. Yeah. I know, but, but I'm sure the garages will say that they... They purchased uh, they purchased fuel at higher wholesale prices and so on. I'm not I'm not taking sides one way or the other on that. What I am saying is, if it happened, it needs to be exposed, right. um, and uh, and there needs to be consequences for it. Because my job is to protect the public and consumers yeah. from price gouging if that's happening. With regard and to the wholesale prices coming down, that, which the is co- the Competition Authority. With regard to the wholesale prices coming down, and you're right, and it's very welcome to see it happen because it was. Well, how quickly will that? Like we know that if the price goes up in a budget say it gets applied straight away but if the wholesale Correct. price comes down that's it's, it's going to be six weeks because the uh, no it, no it isn't going to be six weeks i mean i i heard a spokesperson for the uh, for the fuel industry this morning talking about the expectation that fuel prices will come down in the next 48 hours so let's wait and see but i mean it isn't it isn't an acceptable uh, approach that that when when wholesale prices go up uh, we see price increases happening almost immediately, but when whole, wholesale prices go down, that takes a week to feed into the system. Like that isn't. Um, I mean, obviously, people purchase and different companies pre-purchase different amounts of fuel and so on. Mm-hmm. But if if there are reductions in wholesale prices, we should be seeing the benefit of that as quickly if they're going down as if 
the and, uh, as if they're going up when we see negative. And I'm sure prices. government will use whatever powers it had to make sure that we do. Let, let's hope that we do see that reduction. Well, I think there'll be. I mean, like I think there there is a massive focus now on on the price of, of petrol and diesel. Uh, it's a hugely political issue. And home heating uh, think, oil, hopefully uh, companies. I think companies will be under intense scrutiny, and so they should be at a time when um, when price inflation is as high as it is at the moment. Are, are, um, are so we looking we at are, doing deals with our suppliers? Like, you know, could could we talk to people like Shell and do deals with suppliers? We are good customers. When you say we, are you talking about the country as a whole? Is government encouraging the industry companies. here to do deals with suppliers? Well, I mean, look, we're encouraging the industry to get prices down. Um, but uh, I mean, uh, you know, private companies will will do their own purchasing. They won't look to government for permission on that. No. What we will do is we have about nine months of uh, uh, of of excess supply because there are potentially because of this war going to be shortages of gas, uh, potentially petrol and diesel. Should 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 sanctions uh, continue to intensify against Russia, uh, um, and if uh, if um, uh, if gas or coal or or um, or oil uh, were to be cut off in terms of trade from Russia uh, because of uh, because of sanctions, we undoubtedly need to plan for that, and we are in terms of security of supply. Uh, but mm. that's essentially what's driving the wholesale price over the last number of days: well, we'll, fears around sanctions yeah. and fears around shortage of supply. Because about forty percent of uh, of the EU supply of of gas and oil comes comes from Russia. Mm. So we do we certainly do need 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 contingency, and it would be interesting to see if those wholesale prices are reflected at the pumps. And our listeners will tell us, Minister. There's a great way to survey, well, I mean, and the listeners will no better, tell us, and they'll take pictures of the price boards, so we'll know. Yeah, well, um, uh, and there's no better way of knowing than than on your show, PJ, because people will, of course, ring in from different parts of Cork. Uh, mm. To uh, to compare prices, and that's how competition should work. Can I talk no, to you a little no bit about garage should be overcharging at the moment? Can I talk to you a little bit about flour and bread? I heard, and we know that Ukraine is described as the, the breadbasket of Europe, and God help them, they, they have better things to be doing at the moment than planting than planting wheat because they're trying to defend their country. But I heard someone predicting uh, in the last twenty four to forty eight hours, prices are going up already. We are still using last year's flour. They haven't even begun to plant this year's flour and if they don't we're in serious trouble and we could be looking at three quid for a loaf of bread well i mean just to be clear ukraine have already announced that they won't be exporting any wheat this year yeah so, so what's going to happen so, so, so they're not, they're not um, even so, planting it they're not exporting it well, well no they will be trying to plant it um but it'll be for um primarily for domestic use because of the pressures they're under but the the uh, um but in a normal year 25% of the world's wheat comes from um, Ukraine, Belarus, and Russia yeah. combined. But, yeah. but Ukraine is, is a huge part of that. So we can expect to see uh, significant increases in the price of grain. Um, and that is why uh, Minister Charlie McConlogue is now speaking to farming organizations about uh, getting farmers uh, to plant an awful lot more grain than they would normally Have plant. Have we mills and to turn over flour if we did that? And have yeah, we, could we, yeah, could yeah, we mill the flour? If uh, could we mill our own flour? Well, Are we working mills in place? Yeah. To be honest, the the, you know, the bigger pressure point for us because we yeah, we import quite a lot of flour, but the bigger pressure point for us will actually be feed, uh, feed barley and feed grain, uh, because uh, we 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 import uh, more than forty percent of our of our feed needs for animals in our farms. 
um, whether that's pigs and poultry um, or whether it's cattle. Um, uh, and, and so that is, that is a big pressure point, which is why there is an active conversation now happening between the government and farmers, and, and we need to get on with it quickly mm. because the planting season is, is only weeks away, um, to try to get farmers to grow mm-hmm. spring crops this year. Uh, to significantly increase the the amount of grain that we're producing, that's not just wheat. Sure, that's also that's also barley for and, the, uh, and, and that's and that's well. whatever contingent. But for the householder who is dependent on a couple of sliced pans a week to feed a few hungry yeah. children, and you know yourself, Simon, you're a father of children. They can put away a sliced pan in before you're looking at it, and and if I, the price I, of that I sliced do, pan goes, yes, yes. Yes. if that sliced pan goes up to three quid, which people are afraid of. That's going to leave hungry children. It is, you know, and it's the combination of home heating oil, bread, uh, petrol and diesel. Um, uh, and also, you know, uh, you know, if you're involved in any other works, you know, the, the, the price of steel is up, the price of timber is up. Um, you know, we are currently seeing about 6% inflation at the moment, which is something we haven't seen for mm. more than We would also decade. like to see as what's been uh, done about it. Yeah, and so you know, I just talked to you about what what we're trying to do about it in relation to grain. Uh, um, we've taken decisions, um, uh, you know, in relation to petrol and diesel, and we may well look to do more. Um, we also announced a um, you know a two hundred euro uh, tax credit for every household in the country, in terms of their um, their um, their heating bills, as, as well as targeted supports uh, for for people on on very low incomes. So, I mean, if you look at the combination of what the government's been Think trying about to it do, is six, the, four or five weeks ago, that didn't quite go far enough. It's, it yeah, goes even yeah, less. No, that's now. true. That's true. But you asked me the question. So, you know, in last year's budget, when we anticipated that there would be an increase in inflation, but certainly didn't expect it to be as high as it is, we put a billion euro package in place in terms of tax reductions and welfare supports. Um, a, a number of weeks ago, when energy costs were were spiraling and putting households under huge pressure, we put a, uh, a a half a billion euro package in place. And in the last few days, a 350 million euro package in terms of petrol and diesel. And the Taoiseach is saying that we obviously are going to look at seeing mm-hmm. if we can do more within the rules. Sure. So I'm not saying that this solves the problem for people. I'm just saying the government is very aware of it and and it is trying to uh, uh, you know to to reduce. Uh, the the pressure on households by you know yeah. I mean can you ever remember a time when the government intervened to reduce the price of petrol and diesel when the government gave a, a two hundred euro um, credit to every house in the country in terms of their heating bills? Well, we, you know to be fair times. to be fair, Minister, protecting uh, its people is the job of a government. Yeah. You know, and and it's nice to see it yeah. being done. But in terms of and I'm thinking of my listeners who are on fixed incomes, who are on welfare, who are on low wages. Yeah. They're, they're dreading what's happening. And they feel, we talked about the victims of war and they're our top priority here, particularly the women and the children. We talked about that. But right here, there will be victims of the war. I mean, ask Katrina Toomey. I'm sure you have great time for Katrina. You know her very well. Yeah. Ask Katrina Toomey the effect of the prices going up and up and up and up. What yeah, people- and we will respond to that as best we can. Um, with um, you know, And that's why... There were social welfare increases. There were fuel allowance increases. There was a living alone allowance increase. Uh, there was a there was there was a tax package which was targeting low to middle income earners. Um, you know, parental benefit has been extended mm-hmm. and increased too. So I'm not saying that that's enough. 
What I am saying is the government is more than aware of the pressures that people are under and is responding to that and will continue to respond to that as we move through the year. Why are we um, so but, beholden but to rules in the EU? My job. Why, why are we so beholden to rules? Why have we got to get permission from the EU to scratch our backside? Why can't we just do it? It's, well, you know yourself, you know, it's easier to get forgiveness than permission. Why don't we just do what other countries have done and cut VAT and cut taxes and say to the EU, can we sort this out this later? There's a war on. Yeah, well, that is that is the kind of conversation that's taking place between EU leaders at the moment to look at actually uh, ensuring that we can do um, what we normally wouldn't be doing within the rules to show a lot more flexibility mm. in relation to VAT. Because, because if we were to cut VAT, yeah. if we were to cut VAT now, uh, and um, uh, uh, we have a, a lower VAT rate actually on fuel than most countries in the European Union, and the danger is when we kept, went back to normal, we would be asked to reintroduce at a higher VAT rate, which is exactly what we want to avoid in the future. So we are looking for more flexibility. Mm. I think we'll get more flexibility. We were were able to cut that when the restaurants were in trouble. We were able to cut that overnight when we had a pandemic. And one thing we learned about during the early days of the pandemic, Minister, and you and I spoke at the time about that too, was there is no such thing as can't when when you want to do something, when you need to do something. There's no such thing as can't. The pandemic but, proved that. But, but PJ, with respect, when we reduced tax for the hospitality sector, we did that within the rules. So, um, um, and within the uh, the tax directives that are there. So, look, you know, like I don't want to pretend that we have to operate all of the time within a straitjacket. Obviously, if there's an emergency response needed, the government can look at that. But I'm just saying, the instance that you're talking about, we did we reduced that within the rules. Countries are only allowed to have a certain number of, of VAT rates, uh, and we, we use that facility. What, what Michal Martin is currently talking about with other EU leaders is how the EU collectively responds to a war on the continent of Europe, where thousands of people are being killed, where millions of people are on the move out of Ukraine. Uh, mm. And we have to try to cope with that sure. in terms of inflation. And just, just like uh, uh, the EU is showing remarkable resolve and Uh, and unity in terms of how we're responding to that humanitarian challenge, we will also respond together in terms of ensuring that countries have the flexibility to be able to look after their own populations. Uh, And I'm very confident Well, I think people will place trust in that, and I hope that that trust will be returned. One thing we're we're very worried about also is cyber attacks. You, I think, were Minister for Defence during the major cyber attack a couple of years ago, weren't you? I think you well, are. I am Minister for Defence Yes, right but now. you were then yeah. as well. You were yeah. then as well. We're very worried that Putin might start uh, engineering cyber attacks, targeting computer networks. How, how sure are we that we couldn't have another collapse of the HSE, for example? Well, I mean, we're not sure at all that there's not going to be attempts. In fact, we know there probably will be attempts uh, at, um, you know, um, at attacking systems here in Ireland, both in the private sector and the public sector. We know it's taken place already. Uh, right in the middle of our pandemic, uh, there was a cyber attack on our on our health system, uh, which put people's lives at risk, made hospitals almost impossible to manage. We had to go back to a paper-based system. Um, and it cost the country about 120 million euros to resolve. And and we still have the hangover from that in terms mm. of management systems. That's in, the worrying part. They could hospitals. get in again and do so, more harm. So, yeah. So, 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 I mean, when people talk about Irish neutrality, as if that means that nobody would touch us or there's no threat to Ireland uh, and so on. Like that is very naive thinking. 
Like Ireland is a target, just like many other European countries are, for, for non-state actors and also potentially state actors in terms of cyber attacks. We need to be aware of that. We are. And we're investing heavily in terms of our capacity to respond to that. But there's no country in the world, by the way, that is completely cyber-proofed. Mm. Like even the US, with all the no, money no, no, we, get, we understand that. A, we're you know, we're, we're kind of looking after their, our own house. Their energy system shut down because, yeah. Of, yeah, um, because of a cyber attack. So look, we know this is a danger. We know, we know that in the last two weeks, uh, PJ, um, cyber attacks across the EU are up about 25%. Yeah. Uh, and so what I would say to all of your listeners who are running businesses, uh, make sure that, that that you have your house in order or as as well as it can be yeah. in terms yeah. of of yeah. having uh, protections on your systems. And I can assure you the state is doing the okay. same at the moment. Okay, two last very brief ones, and I know you're under pressure for time, and I appreciate how much time you've given us okay. this morning, Minister. First of all, carers, can they get fuel allowance? And if not, why not? When, when could fuel allowance would really help carers? Well, look, I mean, I... I mean, I, I don't know the straight answer uh, uh, to that question, um, PJ. Obviously, carers do an amazing job yeah. uh, and we need to do everything we can to support well, them. Well, giving them the fuel um, allowance would um, be a massive but, help. Yeah, well, look, I mean, that's that's something that, look, the government has to look at in, in terms of a broader package okay. around how we help society. Well, you, I, when, I know uh, I know, we can trust you to take that up. back to but the I table. Take the point. And lastly, yeah, um, Brian was on asking about the Barry Row oil field. Minister Eamon Ryan's been really slow signing off on, on that on that lease. What's what's your own position on, on Barry Row, given the fuel crisis? Well, look, I mean, we have, I mean, we've made a decision as a government not to give any more new licences in terms of oil and gas exploration. But that doesn't mean that the existing fields can't be developed. Yes. And they can be. Um, um, but, uh, you know, there's been, there's been a lot of talk about um, oil and gas fines off the coast of Ireland um, uh, that haven't materialised. Obviously, we have um, uh, uh, we have carb gas, which mm. which makes up about I think it's about a third of our gas, um, you know, into the system now, which is which mm-hmm. is absolutely welcome. But we know that Barry Row would be a good, but healthy supply, and we just need the paperwork signed. Well, I I mean I'm not sure that that the paperwork is the problem here. Certainly, the state. Isn't uh, shouldn't be uh, the problem here. Um, mm. uh, um, what we've agreed in the program for government is is no new uh, new drilling for oil and gas. That doesn't mean though that existing mm. uh, licenses won't be honoured. Yeah, but uh, and so if it's commercial to do this, um, then then the state should be supporting mm. um, uh, uh, supporting the development. Yeah, of that field. because I mean, Barry, if, if we could get our hands on a good stock. It might help us in in the months ahead. Minister Colby, thank you very much uh, yeah, for but, being no, with but, us. But yes. Peter, it does, it does, I mean, you know, we're not going to get oil out of Barry Row in the next couple of oh, months. Oh, no, no, so no, no, that. I know that. that. I, know, I know that. But, the, the, but knowing the, um, that... I but know. it's like, it takes time to develop these Of course things, it does. So of course it does. That, that would be not, yeah, of course that. They're not, we're not going to start dragging it on, on, on shore tomorrow. I, I know that. But yeah. it, it would, I suppose the optics of yeah. how it I would mean, look... The best way, the best way, the best way for us to uh, to drive down the pressures that are coming from a war in Ukraine is to end that war in Ukraine. Yeah, uh, and I can tell you, and I trust Ireland that you and your European colleagues are doing everything in your in your power to Ireland do that, and at the Security Council as well. We can uh, yeah. to find a way of bringing that about. All Absolutely. right. Well, look, we, we've got a kind of an, a balanced amount of support and criticism for you coming in, which uh, any major interview from a politician to get a balance is a, is a good thing. Uh, but the big message coming <laughs> yeah. through to to us ministers is please convey to Minister Coveney that those of us who need help need it now. 
not in a couple of months, not not even in a couple of weeks. Yeah. We need it now. And, yeah. and and if you take that message away, we need the help and yeah. we need it now. Yeah, and I and I hear that. And I know a lot of families are under real pressure at the moment in terms of heating their homes, feeding their children, putting petrol in the car. Um, you know, this is this is a really difficult time for an awful lot of people, um, and uh, and it's an it's it's an absolutely tragic time for for Ukraine. Mm. But look, of and as, course, and as you can see, look, and we have our, our own appeal here first. for the Red Cross. Yeah. We have our own appeal yeah. ourselves and our our colleague yeah. radio stations and yeah. the wireless group. And it's, and it's quite our listeners have raised actually. over fifty thousand euros, so the consciousness yeah. is there. Yeah. Do you know, and that red. And that Red Cross appeal has already resulted in about 12,500 people offering um, accommodation, Which mostly in their own homes. Um, uh, and it's raised over 14 million euros through that Red Cross appeal yeah. so far. So Irish people, even, even given the pressures they're Absolutely. under in their own homes today, are remarkably generous. And that makes me as a foreign minister, I can tell you, very proud when I'm talking about that. I was that just abroad. going to say that as, as citizens, I think, to end on a positive note, Simon, I think as citizens, we should be very proud of how we are dealing with the problems at the moment. Thank you for being with us, Minister Simon Coveney, Minister for Foreign Affairs. 0818969696, fair bit of reaction. Uh, let me. Am I, am I going there now? Or I'll, I'll take the break first. We we had a few people want to talk about fuel, and we'll get to them. But there was a story in Gro- breaking in Gronabraher. Do you remember the Gronabraher, the church that was damaged a couple of weeks ago, and and all of that? Yeah, we'll go there next. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Oldies and Irish on Cork's 96FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. Welcome along to the programme. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10am to 2pm. With Hidden Hearing, tuning you in so you don't miss a thing. And we've been doing it for over 30 years. Hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833 On Cork's 96FM. Fairness, pretty balanced response to uh, Minister Coveney among listeners. I'll get to some of your comments uh, in, in a wee while, but I want to go first of all, if I can move my screen here, I want to go first of all to Grona Braher. Uh, Father, very reverend Father Thomas Walsh, the Church of the Ascension in Grona Braher. Uh, we were talking a few weeks ago about what happened after the storm. Father Walsh, your cross was badly damaged, and I know that you've got uh, uh, an update for us. Good morning. Yeah, good morning, PJ. The, um, now, it, it, the cross had been tilting, as you know, from about um, from about three weeks ago. The, it, it finally dislodged sometime during the night and uh, came down. So it, it was kind of regrettable, really. The scaffolding was was supposed to have gone up today, and the scaffolding needed to have gone up before they could really assess oh, how serious no. the problem was. So, uh, but there were ferocious winds here all day yesterday. So, but the area was cordoned off, and thank God there was no loss of life or injuries. But right. Anyway. The, so the, the the cross that was bent and damaged and moved out of place by the storm was it storm whatever it was a few weeks ago yeah. that 
that we talked about that and how it had to get scaffolded and secured. The scaffolding was due, due to go up today, but now more wind, it has actually fallen down onto the ground. It's it, it, uh, causing some damage, uh, it, 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 a bit of serious damage to a small part of the roof there. It hit the, it hit the church roof on the way down. And then went from there onto the ground. It was a much heavier cross, actually, when you see it on the ground. Well, that's just it, because t- I remember you telling me the last time it was 15 feet high up out yeah. of the church, but there was another 15 feet down. About, that's right. Buried in concrete. Like, this is... That's an, uh, an awful lot to come crashing down. It's a good job there was no one or no car or no property or no people yeah. under it. Indeed, yeah, it was. I mean, we have to get a JCB in this morning, actually, to to lift it up to get it uh, to get it into the back of the place, so that we can have parking areas for the weekend. Right, and so it's a big structure, yeah. And has it done damage to the spire where it was? Uh, we're not sure. Uh, the the scaffolding will go ahead today now, up and uh, once once they get up there, they, there'll there will be a full assessment, really. Uh, there's an engineer now in this morning kind of looking at it and so that's it kind of, you know. But anyway, uh, we thank God uh, that there wasn't injuries, as you Absolutely. say, or damage. And it happened during the night, did it? It did, yeah. Um, we're not sure what time, but from about 7 o'clock this morning, uh, phone calls have been coming in from locals telling us that the cross is missing. So, Father, I don't need to tell you you were haunted. There was no one going into mass or anything at the time. We were. No, we did have the place cordoned off, all right, actually, and it fell, the cross fell down within that cordoned off area. So, um, the, so they wouldn't have been kind of, they weren't in any, even though no, we were continuing with masses, they weren't in any danger. Good, but something that size falling doesn't generally pick its own trajectory. You, 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 we, we, right, just yeah. how lucky how lucky you were. Well, look, I know that both councillors Ken O'Flynn and McNugent have been on to us outside uh, saying they'll do anything they can to help and hopefully with the fundraising that's going on, the repairs and the replacement will happen shortly. But they wanted to convey their best wishes to you and indeed to your, your congregation, uh, which we do too. And, and thank you for being with me, uh, Father Walsh. PJ, God bless. Thank you. Cheers. That's uh, Father Thomas Walsh, Church of the Ascension in Granabraher. So that story, the the cross that was dislodged during the storm, again, I don't remember what storm it was. Uh, there's so many of them in the last few weeks. Uh, it was a proper doozy anyway because it, it bent the, the cross. Well, there was more wind, as we know, more wind over the last couple of days, and the cross has now fallen down, damaged the roof on its way, and landed in the car park. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. The Takeover. On Cork's 96FM. Weeknights from 7 on the Big Drive Home. We give you the chance to take charge of our tunes. Join me, Lorraine, as you decide what songs we fire off. Takeover. You pay.
pick what we play. With Cork Dental Care's One Day Invisalign event, Saturday, March 26th. Looking for the perfect smile? See CorkDentalCare.com for more. See our song list on 96FM Insta Stories. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 0818 96 96 96. On Quartz 96 FM. Right, the minister told us that, well, stating the obvious, I guess, that our listeners would tell us what was happening with petrol and diesel prices. There's an amber garage. I, I don't know which one it is. From the picture, I'm reasonably familiar, but I don't exactly know which one it is. But there's an amber garage. <laughs> you ready for this? Petrol, 213.9. Diesel, 215.9 this morning. So the high prices are still out there. Sean, you're just back from... He's not there. I'll see if you can get him back. I will go to some more of your comments. Help me understand this. If a garage fills the underground tanker, it's paid for at a price. So how come the customer price increases day after day when the price the garage filled up at is already paid. You see, that's the question we can't answer. Uh, Really only a garage owner could answer that properly. Uh, We'd love to talk to one. Uh, We'd love to just get information from the owner of a garage. Uh, If they get in touch with us, we'd love to go through it with them because that is a question that no one's been able to answer. That if I have for argument's sake, a thousand litres of petrol in my tank underground that I paid for at rate X. Why would I need to increase it to rate Y? I've already paid for that fuel. It would be very nice to talk to a garage owner. If anyone wants to chat to Fiona or Fergal off air and just set up an, uh, uh, an interview where we can maybe talk about it, I'd love to do that. Let me go to Owen. Owen, you're just are you are you in you're in you're in Germany. So good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. I'm in Germany, that's right. Okay. Now, prices, fuel, petrol, diesel. What are we dealing with? Uh diesel this morning, two thirty one the litre has gone up this week by about fifteen cents and has been going up since the twenty second of February from one sixty five. And petrol has also gone from 175 to 239 this morning. So from the 22nd of February. So basically it's gone up by 15 to 16 cents the litre the last couple of days. And, and are you aware, Owen, of how much of that price is the tax take? Like we know every every two... Yeah. We, we know there's a... On the diesel is 40 yeah. cents. The diesel is 47 cents in Germany and in, on the petrol it's 64 cents. Tax. Tax. Okay. Now, well, we know here at home it's over a euro tax. Yeah. So you're paying lower taxes on it and yet the price is higher. And the price is higher, exactly. And, what's the and there is also, of course, the topic of, of motor tax. The, the tax on the diesel is also a little bit lower than it is in the petrol because of the motor tax for the diesels is higher here. Okay? Right. So that's also a bit of a difference. But the price is higher and the petrol stations, they have been, let's say, pushing up the prices. Yes. As Minister Coveney said a while ago, we have a war. We are all aware of it. Yes, correct. But on the other side, you just mentioned it yourself, I think, that there's diesel in tanks 
at the petrol stations, there's natural reserves. There are there's reserves from mm. the countries which would be opened up to the petrol stations, but they're still selling with the higher price. Why yeah. would I want to do that? Yeah. You know, if I bought the diesel petrol in to fill up a reserve, I bought it in possibly in bulk and at a lower price. Now, we all know the economy. We have to make money somewhere. But I can see the problems here with small trades companies, so carpenters, electricians, painters, you name it, anybody that's in the trade, um, they're running cars or a car and they're putting petrol, diesel in these vehicles. It's, you know... It's costing an absolute fortune to run vehicles yeah. at the moment for tradespeople. Exactly. An absolute fortune. And what's the yeah. general mood there, Owen, with regards to this? The general mood at the moment is that people are starting to get frustrated with the pricing. Now, there is an understanding for the situation, of course, but when it's digging into your own pocket, you then have your own thoughts on it people start to get frustrated. They're starting to, you know, it's a, it's a political discussion on one side, but people generally, if they're, you know, their gas bills for their home is now going up by 50, 60%. Mm. It adds to it, you're in inflation of about 5 to 6% at the moment in Germany. That means that your groceries are going up. So generally speaking, people, there are not a lot of people out and about at the moment in mm. shopping centers or things like that. They're just watching their euros basically they're watching they're watching they're, they're watching their euros what's the response i know as, you, as you'll know owen from uh, being in contact here at home our response as a people has been just brilliant on a humanitarian level to what's happening in in, in ukraine we're very proud of it as, as i'm sure everybody else is in germany what's the response like there's also a very widespread positive response towards this uh, situation that's given in ukraine there's been up to about 80,000 80, registered Ukrainians have arrived through Berlin and they have been alone in Berlin. There's been about 9,000 people taken into private accommodation. That means that people have opened their homes to take people in. They have put people in hostels. They have opened up hotels which have still been closed due to COVID. They're putting them in hotels. They've Obviously, they have a situation here where they have so-called Technical, technical help work, which is a voluntary organization, but they have all the infrastructure, logistic, uh, mobilities uh, and trucks and beds and all this type of thing to put into trade fair halls. So to make makeshift hostels for these people. So that's the one side of it. Plus, of course, we've got private initiatives, government initiatives, people spending money, um, sending goods down to the Ukraine or at mm. least the Polish border. So there is also a very positive response in that direction. Here. Good. That's good to hear. And uh, good to hear from you uh, from uh, somewhere near Cologne, just east of Cologne in Germany. That's Owen Foley. Thank you, Owen, listener, to the opinion line. Let me go from there to Switzerland. Switz- uh, you're just back, I think, Sean. Good morning to you. Good morning to you, Jay. How are you? Good. Now, what's the situation like in Switzerland? Switzerland is... Okay, they tell us it's the most expensive country in Europe, but a litre of petrol was just over two euros on Monday when I was leaving. Right. Come home. And I got home, I was looking at 210, 212. Yeah. Yeah. And to eat, it varies. If you want to go out to a restaurant, it's expensive. If you want to do your supermarket shopping and eat at home, it's relatively on a par. 
and cheaper than Ireland. Yeah. Well, when you left on Tuesday, the petrol in Switzerland, the most expensive country in Europe, I've only ever been there twice. It's an expensive place, I give you that. But the petrol is cheaper than home. It's cheaper than home, yeah. And do you know what? Two a litre. What's that, Sean, sorry? Two euros, two cents a litre. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, that was Monday? That was Monday, yeah. Right. And on my local service station here in Cork last night, I passed this morning. And I see it's back up to one ninety nine. That's not down twenty cents. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. Eating out in Switzerland and any kind of socialising in Switzerland is notoriously expensive though. It is. It is for it's they it's kind of priced at the if you want to go out and enjoy yourself, you pay for the luxury. If yeah. you want to eat at home, it's relatively cheap. Yeah. Pint of Guinness is nearly a tenner last time I looked. Yeah, we mean uh, we had we were out on the Sunday, watching Sunday week, watching the rugby match, and the pint of Guinness was ten euros. Yeah. But at the same token, in the hypermarket on our way home, there was ten of us staying together, and we bought ten steaks for seventy euros. Ten ten ounce steaks. That's Irish good. Prime beef. <laughs> that's good that's good yeah are you, are you were you just visiting or do you spend a lot of time there Sean I was just visiting my son is working living there oh good good yeah. alright a lot of, lot of young Irish people actually out there it's a great place it's a great place for young people to spend a couple of years it's a wonderful country it's, it's a great country and it's a great it's a great sense of value in living the place is immaculately clean yeah there are great street festivals street stalls yeah yeah yeah, and there's, and there's Lake Geneva, which is one of the most beautiful places in the world. Yeah, and it's so clean, it's unbelievable. It's fantastic, isn't it, Sean? Listen, I'm delighted you enjoyed your visit, and good luck to yourself. Is he, he's not in the, in the hotel industry, by any chance, is he? Yeah, he's in the catering. He's in ah, the, I thought so, because there's loads of Irish lads go over there to learn, to learn the business. Yeah, he's, ban- he's managing, um, ironically enough, an English pub in, in Basel. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, give him our best and thanks for being with us. 0818 96 96 96. I remember going over there to a Cork City match to Lausanne a hundred years ago. Well, not a hundred years ago, you know what I mean. And there was a pub car, a nightclub called Jaggers that we used to go to at night down at basement. Fabulous nightclub, just fabulous night. But it was full of young Irish people overstudying catering in Switzerland. It's huge over there. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Hear the full show on our app, by podcast or on 96FM.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, Kate, with you there in about 30 seconds. Wanted to make a point on the price of fuel and all of that. We had a voice note as well. Here we go. Just like to tell you, in Blackpool on the, uh, on the Mallow Road, uh, petrol is 181 and diesel is 195. 
Okay, well, that's come down a bit. Thank you for that. 083 396 96 96 for any WhatsApp voice notes. It's a way to get your point on air. Kate, you were particularly glad, I think, that uh, I raised the subject of fuel allowance for carers because a lot of people don't realise you don't get it. Good morning. Yes, that's true. Hi, PJ. And thanks for bringing that up. Um, I really appreciate it. And I think many that were listening probably do. Um, yeah, fuel is expensive for everyone at the moment, but if you don't get fuel allowance and don't have a, like myself, I, I can't work full time at the moment. Um, obviously, I'm lucky enough to have a husband that has a job, but it's not the same for everyone. If I was a single mother and dependent on things like fuel allowance and things like that, uh, we don't get it as carers, unfortunately. Mm. Who are you caring for, Kate? Uh, so I have two children with additional needs. Um, one is three and the other one is six. Okay, okay. And there's a bit of travelling involved and a bit of going around and bringing them to therapy and bringing them to doctors and nurses, I suppose. Yes, yes, of course. Um, and I, I drop her to school, my daughter. Uh, we were granted school transport, but I'm still waiting since last year. No, uh, no driver arranged, nothing. I know they're struggling to get drivers, so I'm not assigning any claim but it is a long time later and I'm still doing uh, the school run and it's not down the road it's actually uh, at least an hour a day that I spend on the road dropping her um, and picking her up and I don't mind I'm a stay-at-home mom, so that's my job but mm. I, the, the fuel prices really have hit us quite hard and I used to pay like 50 euro a week I would get around with that if I didn't have to go to lots of other appointments and stuff but mm. now it's gone up to 80 or 100 a week um, and it's just mental to be honest. That's unsustainable, um, that is totally unsustainable. Yeah and I, I only get the DCA, I don't get anything else uh, oh, because... Still care allowance just for people yeah. who wouldn't know, yeah. And do, do you mind me asking Kate, how much is that now? So DCA is 309 euros a month, uh, we're lucky we're getting it for one of my children, the other one I'm still waiting for an application to go through but it's a lengthy process. You wait yeah. about 10 to 12 weeks and now it's gone up to 13 to 14 weeks, actually, yeah. I've been told. So, so um, 300, I, €309 Euros a month. That's right, yeah, yeah. God, that's not even 75 quid a week. No, no, it's not. And look, I like there's a war going on. Everybody's struggling with fuel. Um, I, I understand that. But, like, I've been fighting for so many things for our kids constantly, and it would be so, like, making things so much easier. That tiny little bit of a gesture, anything at all. And, Kate, how do you heat your house? Oil, gas? Um, We have a gas heating now, uh, but, yeah, like, that's obviously gone up as well. But But you don't get the allowance, the fuel allowance would apply to that, you don't get it. No, 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 none of that, no. Um, And, look, we're lucky we have a house. We're lucky we can afford the rent just about. Um, and that's, that's fine, okay. you know. I, I get that. And you're very, it's, it's very decent and kind of you to say that we are lucky to have this and we're lucky to have that. Those are basics, Kate. You know, those are basics. And, and you're there trying to care for two kids uh, who have other needs. And, yeah. you know, like, look, you should I, have. Uh, I, I, I was, I'd completely forgotten until someone else brought it up in the text machine. That that you do you don't get the fuel allowance. No, no, and I actually like I'm lucky. I have 
you know, mum friends were in the same or similar situation to me and they often tell me, oh, did you know you're entitled to this and you're entitled to that? I haven't a clue normally about these things and I had to find out from friends, from Facebook groups, nobody in any department tells you these things because they don't actually want to apply. Because here's the thing, and someone said to me, uh, and it's a few years ago now, the person is no longer involved in politics, but out of decency to them, I won't name them, said, and I quote, if people realised just how much they were entitled to claim and actually claimed it, they'd bankrupt us. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. You need to find out what you're entitled to and claim every last red cent of it. Oh, absolutely. Um, For example, one example is completely unrelated now, but years ago I didn't know that I could um, apply for incontinence products for my children. Mm. Um, You know, when your child isn't toilet trained and it's not as easy as it is for a neurotypical child to get that done, to take years, um, you you can't find the right size nappy anywhere anywhere anymore, even if you could pay it. And then I didn't know for years that you could apply for that. Nobody tells you this because, like you said, they don't want you to apply for it. And it should be a basic, there should be a leaflet out there somewhere you know uh, but obviously it's a strategy it shouldn't be down it shouldn't be down to parents with Facebook pages acting on their experience it shouldn't be there should be a list Kate listen thank I wish you well and I'm glad we were able to raise that Uh, people on a carer's allowance thank you Kate people on a carer's allowance are in Kate's case a DCA which is domiciliary care allowance it's very small Uh, you get it before a carer's uh, domiciliary care allowance is 309 a month I thought it had gone up but it's not it's 309 a month and it's it's like that's barely 70 quid a week but you don't get the fuel or the gas allowance on top of that whereas a pensioner and why wouldn't they pensioner gets it um, lots of other people get it but the people on a carer's allowance or on DCA in Kate's case they don't get it Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Kerosene one twelve a litre on Tuesday one fifty five today. Seems like a phenomenal increase in just three days. Why weren't fuel prices frozen before the cuts to excise duty, along with a cap on fuel profits? Important point. And I can be concerned for both Ukraine and for putting food on my table and give equal weight weight to both. It's not either on. And yes, that was the point. And look, I wouldn't accuse him of it because he didn't, to be fair. But I think some people think politicians are a bit preachy when they say to us, oh, we have to remember now there's a huge humanitarian crisis in Ukraine. We know that. We know that. And we're doing everything in our power to help those people. But at the same time, we can care about those people and still care about the price of bread, the price of milk, the price of eggs and the price of petrol. So we can. And this is a piece of law that exists since 2007. It's called the Produce the Consumer Protection Act. And the section in there, 61 to 63. Now, it was the Labour spokesman on finance, Jed Nash, who came up with this a couple of days ago. But I checked it. I checked it and it's true. Uh, section 61 to 63 of the Consumer Protection Act 2007 allows the capping of petrol and diesel through what's called a maximum prices order. And it is permissible under those sections 61 to 63 where there is a serious disturbance to the economy. Oh, Jesus, there's a war in Europe. Is that not a threat to the economy? So if they tell you they can't do things like 
cap petrol and diesel prices. They can! There's a law! It says they can! 0818969696. Now, I think Minister Coveney was saying there's another European law that says they can't, which has you rolling your eyes up to heaven and wondering, God Almighty, who actually is in charge? Do you remember I was talking to Owen O'Brien the other day, Owen of Sinn Féin, talking about housing. And he'd been in Cork and met a few people and had a few discussions and we were just going through what he discovered and what he found. But he made a point in the course of our conversation that he said he was quite impressed with the way that Cork City Council had done all that had been asked of it in terms of building and refurbishing. Now he said they could be doing more and they should be able to do more, they should be resourced to do more. But he made the point that he was impressed with what they'd done given the resources that they have. That prompted a response from Catherine. So, Catherine, you contacted us after hearing Ono Brin on the programme where he was saying that the council are, are doing everything asked of them in, ter- in terms of building and, and renovating houses. But you're saying, fine, that's all very well, but they need to be looking after people like my daughter. What's happening? My daughter is actually living in a place um, and she has a neighbour that's constantly giving her problems. It's got to stage now that she's had to leave her home with her children because the daughter, the, the neighbour has made her life hell. Yeah, she's moved in with you. Yeah, she's moved in with me. And I'll be honest with you, I'm actually living in a small house as it is, so it, it's tough here. Yeah. But my daughter scared of her life. Yeah, this is going on for quite some time. It's one individual in particular. And I take it that all this has been reported to the guards? It has been reported to the guards and it has been reported to the council. And we're still waiting to hear what's being done. And she's staying with me, which uh, it, it shouldn't be a long-term thing, hopefully, because I don't have the room. Yeah. And I'm sure she's terribly upset about it all. And it just started out of the blue, did it? She used to be getting phone calls. She used to be getting people coming to her door with complaints. Uh, such a person complained you. You did this, you did that. A different number of things. My daughter was always able to prove the person wrong. But then she had people baiting down her door. Um, doing nasty things. There's rubbish thrown everywhere. She's been abused in the street. Her children are actually being abused. It's, it's terrible. Mm. The language and everything that's been used in front of children is, is unbelievable. Yeah. My daughter is just so heartbroken now. She she loved her home. Always loved her home. Yeah. And it's actually killing her that she can't go home. She's, she's scared for her life. Yeah. She's been threatened constantly. And... The guards, yes, they've taken reports. You say they've been helpful. I have to say the guards have been very helpful. They have been very helpful. They've come out each time they've been called. But it means there's only so much a guard can do. Yeah. And and, and complaints to the council, do they seem to fall on deaf ears or what happens? Uh, we're being told they're, they're looking into it. But they've been looking into it so long now and things are escalating. It's getting ridiculous. Yeah. And, and in general, otherwise, your 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 daughter is very happy with her 
her location where she lives and, and all of that is just one individual? It's just one individual constantly on her. I mean, her life is concentrated around those children and she can't even she can't even do that because she's been constantly uh, shouted at, abused, and her children are actually upset. Her mm. children are constantly upset because of it. Yeah. And I think when you heard Arnold Brin saying to me that for what they're asked to do in terms of building houses, the council are doing all that they're supposed to be doing. It made me angry, to be honest with you, because the council should be actually looking after the tenants that they have as well and listening to them. Yeah. Because it it actually feels like what they do at times is like they throw a can among pigeons. But it happens to be my daughter, the, the defenceless pigeon. She's she's not a person that can defend herself. She's not able for this. Yeah. You're obviously very worried about her, Catherine, which is why you contacted I'm us. I'm very worried about her. I am. And I'm worried about her mental health because she seems to be constantly crying, upset. She doesn't sleep. She's not eating. She's lost too much weight. Her children are constantly upset, constantly crying. I actually have the children here in the background now. I don't know if you can hear them, but they're actually they're crying now. You know, they love their home. This is strange for them being staying somewhere else. I just wish that the problem would be sorted. Yeah. Catherine, thank you for bringing this to our attention. I'm not sure if we can do anything for you, but at least you, you picked up the phone and you rang. Um, and, and thank you for that. Thanks very much for taking the time to listen. And that's the way that you can uh, bring your point to bear on the opinion line. Just pick the phone up. Uh, 0818 96 96 96. We might not be able to do anything for you, but we'll let you have your say, which sometimes that's all people want. 0818 96 96 96. A mix of responses to Simon Coveney, both his interview with me and what he was saying about prices and stuff. But first of all, and you continue to be wonderful to the place of the Ukrainian people. You continue to think about them and come up with ideas how we might help them. Moira, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Convents. Disused, empty convents. Yes. I tell you, PJ, uh, I'm on two Facebook pages. One of them is the Cross Avon one and the other one is the Turnus Cross one. Now, I only realised a few weeks ago that the Turnus Cross convent is boarded up and has been sitting there idle for a while, which is a terrible shame. Which one is that? Is that the one up Mabel Terrace or where? That's the one, um, Christ the King, the primary school. Oh, okay. The girls' primary school there. It's, I didn't realise it, um, but oh, my mum... What convent was, is that? Is that empty now? That is empty and has been boarded up for quite a while, seemingly. And I only realised that there was up for discussion a few weeks ago. I was thinking more of the Brothers Monastery on Mabel Terrace. There's still a few of the old lads in there. But the convent is empty. The convent is boarded up. If you pass it at all, you'll see all the boards on the windows. Crikey. So then during early last week, somebody brought up on the Crosshaven Facebook page that maybe they would open the convent down there to the Ukrainians uh, because it was opened a few years ago to some other refugees coming into the country. Now, I believe since then um, I've heard that that is not um, owned by the Presentation Sisters anymore. Um, 
But I just put it to the group, the Turners Cross group, and the overwhelming response to the idea of it is was amazing. People mm. wanting to help, people wanting how could we get this going. Um, so there was one person on there, uh, Paul McGee, he actually looked into it and he said that the convent, the Presentation Sisters, actually are in the process of transferring the ownership to the Good Shepherd Sisters mm-hmm. okay. who own Adele House. But he had a call back then from a sister, Grace, from Presentation Sisters, mm-hmm. who said that they're evaluating um, their vacant properties at the moment with the Irish Red Cross, but that Turner's Cross mightn't be somewhere that would be opened up. But it doesn't make sense if all these convents are, open, are closed up all mm-hmm. over the country. I believe Balfihan one is closed as well. Mm-hmm. Well, like you said um, in your message to us, they said they all have electricity, yeah. water, bedrooms. Yeah. Bathrooms. Yeah. And they're in the middle of the community, as someone from Turns Cross said. And I mean, anyone that, that's commented on my posting um, are all willing to get together and clean it up or fix mm-hmm. it up or do whatever needs it to be. So, and like as I said, it's next to the school, it's in the middle of the community, and most of the convents are. Yeah. That's actually so, a, that's actually a wonderful idea, Moira. Whether it'll yes. ever happen is anybody's guess, but it's a super yes. idea. Well, I, I did message Michael McGrath because he's wonderful at responding to uh, messages on Messenger, and he said he'd raise it with his colleagues. <laughs> and I messaged Donald O'Leary as well. He was suggested, so I did, and he said he'd look into it as well. Yes. But I haven't heard anything back from any of them. But okay. I I just think that there are. So I didn't realise Balfihan was sitting there empty either. And someone else said, uh, Windmill Road, the reparation, is the yeah. reparation comment that's there? Yeah. You know, and maybe there are there are places for, um, like, the brothers' places, I don't know. It sounds like you're right. that There are, there are deserted or part deserted convents yes. all over the yes. place. There are, yeah, there are. Wow, that's a great, so, Maura, that's a super idea. I wonder well, what that people only, think. That came, that came up from the Crosshaven Facebook page. Now, that's where I got the idea. And, mm. like, if it hadn't come up a few weeks ago on the Turns Cross uh, site, that it was sitting empty. And that would make you sad, because I have very many happy memories of that convent. Mm. Not of some of the nuns, but my mum was teaching there in Turner's Cross and Sister yeah. Anne in the oh, convent and lots of lovely nuns there. I you remember, know, I remember running into that school as a small boy in short pants, so I, I, I know exactly, oh, really? I know the area very well. Moira, thank you. Uh, 0818969696. Yeah, there in Turner's Cross there's two, there's a convent and a monastery. The monastery is up Mayville Terrace. Dino's is there on the corner. And the monastery is up at the top of Mayville Terrace. I don't know if the brothers are still living there. There were some very old brothers retired there up to a few years ago. But then the convent, if you go up a little beyond the girls' school, the convent is in there. And as Moira says, that's now boarded up. So if we're taking in Ukrainian families, giving them a start, getting them out of the war and giving them a place to start, and they were half-empty or deserted convents up and down the country. I, I, I don't think it, it takes two, more than three or four functioning brain cells to realise that's a very, very good idea. Thank you, Moira. 0818 96 96 96. On 
fuel and moreover on Simon Coveney. He gave one of the most insulting answers possible, saying the government can't do anything. He sounds like he's not in the cabinet. They're choosing their priorities. Ask the minister when the household charge was brought in to take more money off us. Legislation was done overnight by the great Phil Hogan. Not all pensioners... Yeah, I'm aware of that, but thank you, caller. Not all pensioners get a fuel allowance. I know someone who applied because they have a husband who needs good heating. They're on a fixed pension. It doesn't even rise with inflation. It's terrible. We knew a war was coming. It's lack of foresight and planning again. But more positive towards Minister Coveney, I think the reason the government have been careful is they're thinking we might need Europe to protect the undersea internet wires. It's a tough station he's in. It, it, I tend to live my life by, and I annoyed a lot of people by this, I tend to live my life by the principle that it's much easier to get forgiveness than permission, which is where I'd be coming from. And just just cut the bloody vat. Just cut it. Just stand up, grow a pair, put on the big boy pants and cut that and deal with the EU later. That would be my view. I'd probably end up in fierce trouble for it, but that's where I'm coming from. Carla says, people want the money tree. Oh, Jesus. People want the money tree, but this will all end up in more debt. The day of reckoning must come. I think they're getting it about rice. Well, the, the 20 cent reduction in the gallon of petrol, or the litre of petrol, was very much appreciated. But what not appreciated was the jacking up of the price by 20 cents in the hours before that happened. And nobody's explaining why. Nobody can give a proper explanation as to why that happened. The only thing we can come to think is, well, you know what, they thought they'd get an extra 20 cents off us. They couldn't bear to lose a few quid didums. Uh, we see what happens when the government jump in and do something. There's a law of unintended consequences. I hope they continue being more cautious now. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theatres May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, 
You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Quartz 96 FM. There's something very interesting I just got, and I'm not going to say where I got it from, in terms of Ukrainian ambassadors around the world. Uh, I, I, I might be able to tell you in a minute, but it's, it's, it's an interesting one. It's an interesting one. 0818969696. Did we ever rescue that greyhound off the N25? Just look out for him. Would you not think opening the old Cork prison for the Ukrainians might be a good idea? It's just sat there, overgrown. A couple of hours work, cut down the trees and make it useful for those poor people who are suffering. Yeah, that, that, that came up a few years ago, actually. Could we not use it as a shelter for the homeless? But uh, thanks for that. Now, Stuart O'Sullivan, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you doing? Good. You want to banish boring weddings. 100%. Um, so, yeah, so I'm Stuart. I'm a celebrant. I'm from Toker. I'm a Cork boy, born and bred. Um, and I'm living over here now in the UK for the past 20 years. Um, and I am now a full-time celebrant, so I conduct wedding ceremonies and funeral ceremonies, actually. Right. Um, but we're going to focus on weddings to mm-hmm. share and spread a bit of love this morning with your listeners. We'll talk a little bit about the celebrant and the weddings and what makes a great wedding and what takes... But give me the pathway to this first, because, you le- like you said, you're, you're a talker boy, like myself. You're a talker Good boy. Man. Left Cork for the UK when and why? Um, I left Cork in 1999 to become a superstar on the West End stage. That was the dream. Like, it never happened, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but sure, we have to have goals. Um, so I moved to London to train professionally um, as a dancer and actor in the musical theatre world. Um, and that, I mean, the training was incredible. Um, I went down a different path by the time I got to the end of the training because um, I ended up going into a career in flying, which was also a really interesting part of my life. Um, But actually, all of the things that I learned from the performing arts side of my life have actually contributed massively to the role that I'm doing today anyway. So I guess it's kind of come full circle anyway, you know. You were a flight attendant at British Airways. That was... Is that that as glamorous as it looks or is it an awful lot of... Coffee, tea, 100% it is not as glamorous as you think. <laughs> when you're standing up eating a, a cold chicken curry at three o'clock in the morning just to stay awake, believe me, there's nothing glamorous about that. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you go from flying the world and seeing nothing but the inside of the plane or where you happen to stay? Because I know that that's yeah. pretty much what it is. Um, yeah. How did you go from there to being a celebrant? Well, I suppose really both roles complement each other really well, PJ, you know, because ultimately all I'm really doing is looking after people. Um, And so, you know, you're looking after people in a metal tube when they can't get off and go anywhere else. But during the time of a wedding or a funeral, you're really there to look after people and to tell their story and to be their voice, really. Do you know what I mean? Um, And so really, I think both of the roles really kind of link really nicely into each other, to be honest. 
Okay, so you trained as a celebrant, and I guess that's something that has happened more and more in the last few years. People have taken on being a celebrant kind of as a second job, as something to do at the, at the weekend. But for you, yeah, it's it's your full time. It is now, and it is going. It's going from strength to strength, to be honest. So, um, I trained with the Fellowship of Professional Celebrants in two thousand and eighteen, uh, and trained in weddings and funerals. And um, the weddings exploded straight away because, um, well, I mean, I'll be totally honest with you. There's not that many male celebrants around. There's a lot of women in the industry, yeah. but not very many male celebrants. And so, I think instantly, I had a sort of unique selling point. Um, and then also, I'm a bit younger than other celebrants you know there's a lot of sort of older people doing it but um that was another thing that kind of made me busy um and then during covid of course the funeral side of the business was you know crazy um and obviously there was no weddings happening at all um but now the balance is back and weddings are back on the cards and um it's great to be back out there like spreading love and creating incredible moments for for couples you know now you say that a good wedding should be a bit like a roller coaster one minute you should be laughing the other you should be crying that's not a wedding that's marriage <laughs> no, I don't know what your missus would have to say about that, PJ, this morning. Be careful, you're heading into a weekend with her. Um, like, that is exactly what I try and set out. Like, you know, those moments where you're sat at a wedding and, you know, you, the, you see the tissues coming out. As soon as I see the tissues coming out, I know I'm onto a winner. Um, and the reason those tissues come out is because we're telling that couple's love story. It should all be about them. When people get married in a church, it's all about God. When they get married in a registry office, it's all about the law. But when they get married with a celebrant, it is all about them. The focus is on them as a couple and we put them at the heart of the wedding ceremony. Hmm. Now, you had a particular favourite that stands out, a couple that came all the way home from Hong Kong to have their wedding, two lads. That's right, yeah. Brian and Chris, they were a great couple to work with. Um, So, I mean, this was a gay couple that had been together for 26 years. And, um, you know, like long before gay marriage was ever even legal, you know, or accepted. And, you know, these guys, you know, carved out their path in life in Hong Kong and, you know, lived lived the life, you know, as best they could. And um, it was wonderful to come together and celebrate the love that they shared. And they invited like lots of people that they had met from their journey. They came to London to get married. So all of the planning for the ceremony had been done over Zoom. And I guess like when we talk about, you know, COVID times, you know, we do tend to focus on all the negatives, but some great things have come out of COVID as well. Like everybody knows how to use Zoom nowadays. Do you know what I mean? Isn't mm. that great that I could connect with a couple mm. in Hong Kong? And, you know, conduct their ceremony in London. And it felt like we were old friends, you know, because we had such a good connection. Um, But, yeah, that was a great, great um, wedding to be a part of. And it was almost like a reunion because they'd invited so many friends, you know, from from their journey through life. I remember conducting that ceremony and standing at they, they made their entrance together as a couple and standing at the front of the ceremony space. And they couldn't actually get down the aisle to me because there were so many people 
people want to hug and kiss them on the way down. It was really special. Mm. So um, the, the thing with the celebrant wedding, PJ, is that the only rule is that there are no rules. So I will create a ceremony that reflects that couple. And no two weddings should ever be the same because no two couples are the same. So we shouldn't be trying to sort of pigeon couples into a wedding ceremony that's a one size fits all, if that makes sense. It does. You know, and and it I've, be. I've been to a couple of celebrant weddings myself and, and I have a friend who's a celebrant and, and she's a very thing. There, there are no rules here. We, 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 no. There's, there's, a, there's a, a kind of a thing we have to do. There's a, there's a pattern to follow. But besides that, there are no rules. I love the one where you get them to write their own vows, but they don't see them. There you go. So though that's a Stuart O'Sullivan special and they're called Secret Vows. So basically the couple will write their vows separately and they will send them to me. Now, this is really important. I have to make sure that they match up. So if he's written 10 pages and she's only written one, we have to go back to him to cut down and we have to go back to her to write a bit more because they have oh, to be... So you're scripting with both of them, but nobody knows the other script. Exactly. There you go. And what's really interesting about this is that very often the couples will pull out highlights in their relationship. They both end up coming up with the same with similar memories or similar things or similar promises without them realizing that mm. that was really important to the other person. Does, does that make sense? It makes an awful so lot of sense. It's so special on the day. Now, looking so at they your only Instagram, get to read them on the day. Looking at your Instagram, you could be accused of outdressing some of your people. <laughs> you. No, this is always a worry. <laughs> no, I have to say though, to give to be fair, I do always check with the groom what colour he's going to be wearing. It's usually navy or burgundy. They're gone for the, the grooms are gone for burgundy this season. Um but I do always check what they're planning on wearing so I don't clash. <laughs> you then went and what, what did, what's the award you won? Because like this isn't just a business. You are now National Wedding Celebrant of the Year. The first man ever to win it. I am officially, you know, the best celebrant across the whole of the UK and uh, it's a great award to have won. I won it at the Underglobe Theatre in London in February. Um, it's the Wedding Industry Awards and it's like the most highly acclaimed award in the wedding industry here that you can win. Um, and so I was up against, well, first of all, in January, I won the um, uh, Regional Celebrant of the Year for the Southwest of England. And then I got through to the finals in London where I was competing with all the other um, regional finalists. And I walked away with the title of um, National Celebrant of the Year. So it was a great win. I and have you're to not say a big modest about it and neither should you be. Oh, you know what? If you don't, if you don't enjoy these moments when the, listen, the thing is, this is going to be very short-lived because there'll be another winner next year. So I might as well enjoy. Will enjoy you go the for it? Go for it again. Go for the double. I'll give someone a chance now next year, and I'll go for it again the year after. Right. Listen, Stuart, great, great talking to you, and congratulations on and a successful you. business. And we, and I just say a quick shout out to all my family at home in Birch Place and Toker, who I know will be listening and be super proud today. And, and thanks for having me. Give on. us your Instagram again so people can follow you. I will do. It's Stuart the Celebrant on Instagram, and if you want to look up my hashtag, it's hashtag Goodbye Boring Wedding, and that tells you exactly what I set out to achieve with all the couples I work with. Good lad. Thank you, Stuart O'Sullivan, the UK Wedding Industry Celebrant of the Year. Speaking of awards, awards are back. Uh, and tonight there's an awards ceremony. I'll go straight to it, Fiona. Tonight there's an awards ceremony here in Cork. And I'm privileged 
to be one of three hosts. I'll be hosting it and my colleague from C103, British Messenger, and Mary McCallaghan from RT. The three of us will be hosting the Pride of Cork Awards, organised by Cork Civic Pride. And it's my first awards gig in over two years. I'm so looking forward to it. And I've been talking uh, to the organiser and the chair of Cork Civic Life, Michael Mulcahy. Michael, you and I talked about this event quite some, some time back because it was planned quite some time back, but COVID had different notions, as it were. Yes, we were hoping to run it in 2020, PJ. And uh, as we know, that wasn't possible. Then we deferred it until 2021, where we all hoped that, you know, things would have got back to some level of normality. And we couldn't do it in early 2021. So we pushed it out to November 2021 in the hope that things would have would have cleared. And there was a little bit of a, a reprieve in November last year, uh, where some events did go ahead. But towards the end of uh, November, when we had this planned, it just wasn't possible or practical to do it. And bringing people into an environment like that at the end of November would have been the wrong thing to do and I know people were disappointed but I think everybody understood that we made the correct decision so thankfully we're back and running it tonight over two years in the making. Now the concept. Yeah Cork Civic Life is all about the voluntary social civic um, charitable and not-for-profit organisations in Cork City and County. There are over 3,000 of them. Every organisation from the largest that we would know from the St. Vincent's de Paul, Vincent de Paul, the Hope Foundation, you know, Chernobyl organisations, down to local residents associations all over the city and the county. The platform CorkCivicLife.ie is all about supporting and promoting them, giving them a voice. It's a digital news site. And it was founded in 2018 and supported but with, by Dan and Linda Kiley as its lifetime patrons. Mm. And it does everything for the organisations that engage with it on a free of charge basis. So our job is to support and promote them, tell their stories, get their message across and hopefully connect them with the business community and others who might be able to support them in other ways, financially being the main one, and perhaps with volunteerism mm. and other things. So there's quite a cross-section of Cork Society being honoured tonight. Those who are being honoured have known for quite some time, obviously. Uh, they have. They've, they've known for, for um, over two years at this stage. So uh, it's a bit like the Rose of Tralee. They've been holding the title for quite a long time and they've been very patient with us and we're looking forward to welcome, welcoming all of them tonight. And, you know, when you look at the, the recipients that we have tonight, there are organisations there from... You know, the Irish Community Air Ambulance to Meals and Wheels in Clonakilty to Cork City Missing Person Search and Rescue um, to individuals like Adam King, um, uh, Catherine Mahan Buckley, uh, Vera Toomey, uh, you know, to name but just a few. Mm. There are 35 recipients at the uh, event tonight and each and every one of them, be they an individual or an organisation, has and continues to do amazing things in our community for the benefit of Cork. Mm. And really what we're doing with a Pride of Cork Award is saying thank you to them and hoping that they will continue doing what they do best, which is giving back to the community. And again, what we in Cork Civic Life hope that the 
event will do is encourage more people to do a little bit more in the community. We have some amazing people, as I say, doing amazing things. Mm. But a lot more of us could do a little more and give back a little more. We're we're quite good at taking from society. But I, I, I think our model needs to be that every one of us, you know, can afford a little bit of time every week or every month to give back to society in some way for the betterment of someone else or something else. Mm. Michael, there's one posthumous award tonight. A, a man who was a friend to us both and very big in the events industry himself, Ted. Yes, there is. And, you know, unfortunately, we lost Ted Dunn um, just over a year ago. And I think for his wife, Sheila, and daughter, Lily, and son, TJ, um, and all their family and, and the friends, um, and every one of us who who knew Ted and, you know, you certainly knew Ted and worked with Ted over the years and knew what he was like. He was the life and soul of every event. Uh, nobody did it better than Ted Dunn. Nobody gave back to organisations like charitable groups, things that Ted Dunn did for them in putting together events, music, um, uh, supporting things, sponsoring things, going that extra mile. And I certainly know from the events that I've done over the last 20 years, without Ted Dunn's involvement, they would not have been the type of event mm. that, that, that we've delivered around Cork. So a posthumous award for Ted. But I think emotionally, uh, Ted will be with us yeah. because we have one of Ted's big bands, The Love Bugs. Uh, his nephew, Sean, who will be DJ. And everything about the event is really as Ted Dunn would have organised it himself. Yeah. So, you know, there, there's a huge element of, I think, emotion involved in that for Ted. And we also have a second posthumous award for the former Lord Mayor and former Lady Mayoress of Cork, um, ah. Tim and Bina Falvey. They were the life and soul of the north side of Cork, the life and soul of City Hall, when they, they represented our, our city. And I think for the Falvey family, mm. it's just a nice uh, thing tonight to be able to say that we're honouring their mom and dad for everything that they did in Cork, just like all the other people will be honoured tonight. Michael, isn't it great to be able to do this again? It's fantastic, PJ, to be able to organise something and for other people to be able to come out after a period of you know, over two years where we haven't been able to do things. And I know, you know, that period of time, everybody has been apprehensive about it. Everybody has been so careful um, to to do things in the way that, that the, the, the law provided for. And for everybody to be able to, you know, come to an event, um, it's something we've waited a long time for. And I think it's something we'll never, ever again take for granted. Well, I'm very privileged to be part of it tonight and looking forward to it, my friend. See you there. Thank you, Peter. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Hear the full show on our app, by podcast or on 96FM.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 969696. 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. And the qualification starts Monday. 
for your chance to go with a friend to the biggest fight of all time in women's boxing, Katie Taylor versus Amanda Serrano for the lightweight world title at Madison Square Garden on the 30th of April. You could be there. You'll be listening at 8.15, 2.15 and 5.15 to hear the knockout hits. Don't worry. Casey and Ross will tell you what the knockout hit is. Simon will tell you what the knockout hit is. And Lorraine will tell you what the knockout hit is. When you have all three song titles, you then text or WhatsApp Lorraine on the big drive home for your chance to qualify. The eventual winner jets off to New York. We'll fly you there. We'll put you up. We'll put money in your pocket. And we'll give you tickets to see Taylor versus Serrano on April 30th at Madison Square Garden. I am so, so jealous in advance. <laughs> You're listening to Win with Noel GC Cars Blackpool. Put your trust in their award-winning after-sales team. The Skoda service at noeldc.com only on Cork's 96 FM. 0818 96 96 96. Someone is wondering, have they found the cheapest fuel in Cork. I'll get to that in a wee while. But first of all, I want to go to a woman called Sally Ferns Barnes who has just won a Lifetime Achievement Award for her work with fish and awarded by the Irish Food Writers Guild. These are seriously high-powered awards, Sally. Good morning and congratulations. Good morning, PJ. Thank you. I'm still buzzing. Yeah, it's Absolutely fabulous, I think is the word. And um, good luck to Katie. Good lord, such a pretty little thing. It frightens me. Anyway, good luck, Katie. <laughs> good luck, Katie, and we'll all be rooting for her on the thirtieth. Absolutely, of absolutely. April. Talk yeah. to me about you. They say in the one of the reasons you got this lifetime achievement award is you're the last person of your kind in Ireland, exclusively working with wild fish. Tell me about your business. Um, I'm a fish smoker, obviously. Um, I was married to a commercial fisherman for a long time and fish prices were dreadful. Refrigeration wasn't much available and I decided that we used to smoke your fish to give it longevity. I mean, before we became global food producers, salmon would come into this country and there'd be a massive run for maybe three weeks. June, July, last week in June, first day in Ju- the first two weeks in July. Yeah. And you're looking at all this product and thinking, oh, God, what are you going to do with it? You know, you, you can eat it maybe two nights in a week, but three nights in a week's pushing it. How do we make it last longer? So a lot of trial and error, mistakes and some good mistakes, some bad mistakes. You always learn, you know, you've got to be brave and just go for it. Cross your fingers and go for it. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I was stuck at home with two children. Um, so, yeah, I thought, I need independence here. Yeah. So um, a series of slightly unfortunate accidents set me up with a business, which was amazing. Mm. So I got my first kiln in lieu of a debt, and and I, yeah. Down in Skibbereen in Woodcock yep. Smokery. And Woodcock I, Smokery, I've yep. tasted your produce. Have you now? I have indeed. I Absolutely. can't remember where. I think it was one of these food fairs. And I was <laughs> a guest at a food fair. And there's this most gorgeous smoked fish. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we have wonderful fish around the Irish coast. Mm. And it's a shame to see so much of it disappearing 
over to the continent. I mean, you know, people need to eat more fish. It's available on our doorsteps. It's incredibly nutritious. It's very easy to digest. It's very easy to cook. Mm. Um, you know, you have to learn all these things when you come from the <laughs> from London to settle here. You have to learn how to cook and prepare all these things, which are unfamiliar with. But um, I keep it simple. I still bake fish whole on the bone with a bit of butter, salt and pepper, wrap it in foil, throw it in the oven. Easy peasy. It's the easiest way to cook anything. Isn't it just? Yeah. So I could see salmon declining, so I thought, right, the boat's the fishing tuna, let's have a bash at that. There's mm-hmm. a big fish, it's got an oil fat content, which is what you're looking for. And um, I started smoking albacore tuna, which was being landed into Baltimore. Um, and that's been successful as well. It's a great product. It's very easy to use. Um, and again, it's incredibly nutritious. So, yeah, that's what I'm about. But I like, I've kept the business very small, necessarily, because you don't know from one year to the next mm. what catches are going to be like. So being small makes you quite flexible. So mm. if I can't get one species of fish, I can just switch over and get a few kilos of something else. You'll get another, and, and it all smokes yeah. in the same way. It does, it does. But, yeah. Well, basically, you've got hot smoking and you've got cold smoking. Hot smoking is cooking and smoking at the same time. Cold smoking, you keep the temperatures low, under 30 centigrade, so as you don't denature the protein, so it's still got, you know, your product has still got some texture to it. It's mm. not crumbly. And flavour and all that. And flavour, yeah. So, and, now, these yeah, awards... People don't realise that these awards, you're not nominated for them. You no. don't put yourself forward no. for them. No. The Irish no. Food Writers Guild nominates you. I know. It's incredible, isn't it? I mean, it's so prestigious. I'm gobsmacked. You, you've no idea it's coming. Um, and then you think, oh, my God, is that it? Was that my lifetime? So <laughs> <laughs> let's hope not. So you have a um, few years left in me yet? <laughs> I, I think so. And now, because I've spent so much time working very closely with the fishermen and the fish stocks, and I studied um, oceanography and food production systems with the Open University because I couldn't travel to university with the children mm. and the business. Fantastic courses, um, if you know, just to give you a bit of mental massage when the brain's atrophying with, you know, have I done the washing? Has the dog been fed? All those nuances of being a, a housewife, a mother, and a, a fisherman's partner. <clears throat> you get kind of a big bag of stuff to deal with. So um, the Open University was my saviour, and it also gave me huge confidence in what I was doing. It gave me all the science behind what was happening, you know, when you're salting and mm. smoking. It was yeah. very exciting. So <laughs> I, I, I was carried... reading how you taught yourself. Um, yeah, I did initially. A tea chest then, with wood yeah. shavings. <laughs> Just tea chest hole in the bottom and mackerel because we had acres of mackerel. I think the first three weeks I was here, I ate mackerel just about every day. And then I thought, I'm done with mackerel. And it was about 35 or 40 years before I tasted it again. I've never had smoked mackerel. Oh, very good product. Really good product. I've had barbecued mackerel in recent years, which is a gorgeous way to eat fish. Well, PJ, you'll just have to come and do the 
smoking course with me. That's my <laughs> new life. We'll be sharing the knowledge and passing it on. And I think particularly at this point in time, mm. people are very interested in where their food comes from, how it's produced. Mm. Um, COVID was amazing because people were cooking. You know. Learning to cook. Lastly, before I let you go, and given your connection to the industry and, and all of that, not just mm-hmm. the cooking of fish, are you worried about the state of our fishing industry, Sally? Oh, Lord, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm worried about the state of our oceans as well. I'm worried about the state of our rivers. They're improving, but I hope they're improving quickly enough. Mm-hmm. You know, who knows what's around the corner? Um, we may have to come back to community, and I love what's happening with communities rising since COVID and during COVID. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where we should be looking, not exporting food products to the other side of the planet. Yeah. Keep it here. Yeah. Feed we've, local people. We've got, the, we've got the best in the world and we should be doing more with it. Sally, thank you. Sally, and congratulations again. Sally Ferns Barnes of Woodcock Smokery in Skibbereen. Get your hands in it. It's pimping gorgeous. Right? It's gorgeous stuff. Lifetime Achievement Award from the Irish Food Writers Guild. 0818969696. I got diesel for 189 at Hurley's in the Pike near Clon. 183 at the Burgess. Is the Burgess open again? Or did it ever close? 183 at the Burgess between Killa and Yall. Know it well. They used to get a fabulous feed in the Burgess. I don't know whether you can anymore. And this came in to us too. Where did I put it? Here I think. Hold on, let me see. Here it is. There's a good one for you. Ballancolic across the road from Tesco's, diesel 181 and petrol unleaded 173. Oh, there'll be a queue. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. We're back to the music. The Quartz 96 FM music panel gives you the power to pick our playlist. Click 96fm.ie now. 96fm.ie now. Take the 10-minute survey and you could win a 100 euro Just Eat voucher. The power to pick what we play. Pick what we play. Let's get down, let's get down to business. Join the Quartz 96 FM music panel. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or see 96fm.ie. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Quartz 96 FM. There is a new documentary screening at the Omniplex uh, for a week from tonight. And it's one that I'm certainly going to try to get along and see because it looks absolutely fascinating. It's called Young Plato. Think about a school, little boy's school in the Ardoin area of Belfast, a place where if you're old enough, you'll remember horrible stories, tragic, violent stories coming from Belfast's Ardoin area. And imagine what you might call a maverick school headmaster who just wanted to change life for these little kids. His name was Kevin McReavy. The documentary is called Young Plato, Nasa Ni Kianon is the director. NASA, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. This guy, I think we should all have a Kevin McAreevy in our lives for a few months. Absolutely. Tell yeah, me about no him. Question. How did you come across the story? 
Well, it was, it was my co-director, Declan McGrath. He's a Belfast filmmaker. Um, we had worked on projects before uh, in the past and he heard about, he's from North Belfast, so he heard about Kevin and he told me about him and he said, you know, like, would you want to get involved? And I, I we went to meet him and we were blown away really by what was happening in the school there. I mean, these are kids from four to 11 and they start their first philosophy lesson when they're four years of age and they learn about thinking and realizing that everyone has a different opinion and a different thinking and never be and always to respect the other person's thinking and then never be afraid to change your thinking if somebody makes or if somebody what somebody says makes more sense Mm -hmm. so it starts from there and then by the time they become 10 and 11 year olds they're discussing you know political issues like what happened at holy cross in 2001 with the holy cross girls school what happened in 69 with the Ardoin uh, burnouts and you see these amazing children who have a a fantastic moral compass and Mm. can negotiate and talk about you know is violence ever justified because growing up in a place like Ardoin and we'll say and there were other places say the Falls Road the Bogside and Derry that's kind of thing but Mm. growing up in a place like the Ardoin you would grow up with a certain mindset you would grow up thinking a certain way around the world. Here's these one, this one man who won't let you. Yeah, well, you. he's asking you to question things. Yes. No, he won't. I mean, yeah, if it, if for your for your listeners, like Ardoin, it's it's Ardoin is a sort of a small Catholic enclave in North Belfast, and it's surrounded. But you know, it has peace walls all around. It's yes. separating it from the Protestant community. And when you walk in there, I'm, the first thing that struck me was all the murals that are on every sort of gable end of of the, of the houses and the messages that those murals are giving out. It's all a about you know the 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 uh, the troubles and about young young lives being given up for the cause and all of this thing and the, and these these are the narratives that the children are passing by every day when they go to school so that obviously has an effect on you and now you know in in recent years there the, you know the dissidents they have their murals up there and it's just you know mm. it, and it I was that, there only about two summers to, ago I took a drive around Belfast mm. and I, I, I found myself in the Ardoin and I, I just okay. looked and I okay. thought it's a time shift isn't it? Because, yes, because when the peace process came, um, you know, Ardoin didn't seem to benefit in the same way as say West Belfast it's uh, benefited it is absolutely, and like they, they were, they, they, the money didn't really seem to flow in there. So, I mean, they, they're still dealing with high unemployment rates. Uh, uh, they have there's a serious drug problem, and then dissident activities. So, so, and you're dealing with generation, you know, intergenerational trauma, and so all of those things like what poverty, what, what um, uh, intergenerational trauma brings, what drugs brings. I mean, there's a lot of social problems there. So these kids have a lot of challenges ahead of them. Mm-hmm. And what what Kevin and his amazing staff are all doing there, they give them an incredible amount. Well, they teach them critical thinking. They give them an incredible amount of pastoral care. And they, you know, help build resilient, thoughtful children. Because really the decisions that they make, say, in their teenage years will really shape the rest of their lives. And they introduce young children to Socrates and Plato. Mm. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you see, yeah, and you see that Kevin, Kevin did a lot of work around with Seneca as well, who does a lot of work around um, being in control of your emotions, recognizing your emotions, recognizing what your triggers are. And you see in the documentary, because it's completely observational, so there's no interviews, there's no voiceover, like you're, you are walking mm. in the footsteps of the children and you are with them at every, every sort of, every, yeah. in every it's scene. It's immersive. It's and you see, yeah, yeah. it is completely immersive. Yeah. So when, when, so like say, say when a child gets in trouble in Holy Cross, like if they're out in the playground and they're fighting, they're sent, they're, they're sent to the headmaster's office, but they're not sent there to get punished. They're sent to the philosophy board. And on the philosophy board, they have to answer three questions. What happened? What should have happened? And where do we go from here? And the two injured parties have to negotiate together. Well, what happened? Who hit first? Blah, 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 blah. They have to write all this up on the board. So by the time they've gone through that whole process, they move from being like hysterical, one wounded children to like chatting about it all. And, and I've, I've heard kids saying, God, I don't know why I got angry with you. You're my best friend and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so they calm down and they get in control of things. And by the time they finish that whole process, there's no punishment needed. Yeah they just head off as friends again. You know, I mean, it's a really, really powerful tool. And what's lovely I think we could all do with a philosophy board in our lives. Absolutely. And Kevin as well, you'd think people with their heads in the philosophy books that they could be sort of how we, wooden people, but the guy is into Elvis oh. and he wears stripy socks and he's got a wicked sense of humour. Yeah. Oh no, absolutely. That's you see, that's the problem with philosophy. People think it's this sort of this sort of thing for the elite, you know, for the upper classes, and you know, and to see it in our doing, like because it's not. It's for everybody. It's 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 you know, it's accessible to all of us. Kevin keeps telling everybody, you know, there is no right answer. You know, everybody's opinion matters. It's about expressing it and talking about it and thinking it through. But you're right. He is hilarious he's great fun to be around like honestly like our two years in the school were just we had such crack making the film i mean it's very you know there are serious moments there are very mm. poignant moments mm. but like the, with a big dollop of belfast humor because i think that's what people do oh, there they and they're some of the funniest the people day. on the planet yeah, they really are. They really are. I know the jokes keep coming hard and fast. It took me a while now because they were flying over my head because it took me a while to get in on the accent. But uh, yeah. after a while, like I, I, I got there, you know. But uh, yeah, no, they're great well, crack. It's really, an, it's, really amazing I, I, people. I only skimmed through it as a preview. I must sit down and watch it in detail. It's a wonderful, wonderful piece of work, Nessa, and congratulations on it. Oh, thank you very, very much, PJ. And please, yeah, let you please send your listeners go to the cinema, go see it on the big screen. Because honestly, you will be so moved by these kids and by the staff at, at the school and what they're doing there. It's 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 something quite special. All right, listen, that's uh, the director of Young Plato, Nessani Hinon. Uh, it's opening at the in Omniplex uh, tonight for a week, and I am going to go along to see it because, as I said, I you. Got a review copy and just skimmed through it, but it is brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Imagine a life centre plonked into the middle of the Ardoin. We've all talked about the life centre and the work it does and the philosophies inside the life centre. Well, imagine plonking that into the middle of the Ardoin. Oh, wait, if you know the Ardoin, it's like a place frozen in time. I was there July 2020. I was wandering around Belfast, spending a few hours in this wonderful city. Um, and there it is. It's, it's frozen in time. It's like the troubles never ended. Fascinating and frightening at the same time. 
can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 0818 96 96 96. On Cork's 96FM. Couple of things to notify you of. Uh, Jennifer has a, a fundraiser going on for Ukraine. I'll give you that before we finish. And also Ukraine community having a demo Sunday. Assemble at 4 o'clock at the City Library. We are hoping to touch base with Christy uh, who's at the Polish-Ukraine border or heading for the Polish-Ukraine border, uh, hoping to touch base before we pack in at midday. 0818 96 96 96. Right, we have a lot to do and only a half an hour in which to do it. So, says you, PJ, shut up and do it. Junior Tidy Towns was launched in Carrigaline last weekend uh, in the park in uh, Carrigaline. And Armour Raid went along to hear all about it. Well, we picked up rubbish. Oh, wow. Did you get lots of rubbish? Yeah. And are you excited to be here? Yeah, and we got a glass and a lollipop stick. Oh, wow. And uh, who's here helping you? Mama. She loves picking rubbish up on a regular basis. So we said we'd come down for the tidy town. So um, it's brilliant just to see it organised and it just be a normal part of coming to the park then for the two of us. Three-year-old Zia and her mom Neo were busy picking up rubbish at the launch of Cargoline Junior Tidy Towns. A major litter pick took place throughout the park after a talk about the ducks. Here's Deanna and her mom Mary. And you know what? I also found a glass and I... And I got it, even didn't break it. I know she loved it, and I I was wondering to be part of it, but because uh, Saturday we have other uh, activities to do, it has never been like the right time to do it. But today was definitely like it. We definitely have to go and you know make our part. <laughs> Seven-year-old Andre was there with his neighbor Sarah and Cesar. Like tire and paper and things of plastic. That's. And how important is it to come down here to, to the local park and pick up all the rubbish? Because then cork or then the ducks will eat it and they might die and get very sick. Sarah. And Sarah, you're here picking rubbish too. Are you having fun? Yeah. And what, how much rubbish have you picked up? What kind of things? Um, Sam Andre. Hi, I'm Cesar. They are really excited. They just wanted to come and pick up with yes. her. Not even listening to the stories of the, the ducks and all of that because this is something that they, it's, it's great for them. AJ Quinn, Janita and Nicola were working together collecting litter. We're picking up rubbish to make the place better. Excellent. And how much rubbish have you got so far? Have you got lots? Yeah, we are having a little bit of having help with our friend. I'm two. You're two. <laughs> and what's your name? And are you picking up rubbish? I see you've got a stick here. Are you having fun? Yeah. Janisha? How important is it to, to pick up the rubbish? It's not nice to leave it around, sure it's not? No, it isn't. Because it depends. Because you will get global warming and those stuff. It will make the earth feel unwell. I think it's a great initiative to, to get the young people involved in keeping the, the town nice and clean, a bit of pride in our local area. And I know my two like to do it anyway, so it's brilliant for them to see other kids who think it's important as well. Chairperson of Carrigaline Tidy Towns, Liam O'Connor, says junior Tidy Towns will take place once a month. First Saturday of every month, um, we will meet here 
um, and then we're going to have various uh, projects in over the summer like as I mentioned we're going to be sowing sunflower seeds we have a new uh, glass house being installed um, in the car park here in Carrigaline um, it's a very large uh, glass house so we'll be able to get workshops inside um, if the weather is bad and then they can sow wildflower seeds um, we have some raised beds they can look at vegetables and that over the summer so yeah exciting times we're going to a place I think called Tarno or Tarnov which is about 60 miles 100 kilometres from the border between Portugal and Ukraine Christy O'Donovan hello Christy how are you going PJ how are things by good 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 solid line now you're almost there the, the last part seems to be the longest part is it the last part is the is the, is the political part I suppose for the want of a better word so we're liaising with three different charities close to the border because it's changing by the day now we're 100 kilometres from the border here PJ and we were up in the railway station this morning um, just chatting with one of the Caritas volunteers here and there's actually refugees in the railway station here and there are kids with no no adults just kids they were put on trains coming out of Ukraine and they were shipped out on their own yeah they would have got on the train maybe in Lviv yeah and and they'd be shipped out on their own and nobody with them and now the odds have pardon nobody with them no nobody with them wow and who's taking care of them Christy there's, a, there's, there's volunteers a bit like ourselves and like all the volunteers in Cork that helped us load all this stuff they're the same as ourselves just looking after them just up here walking on high-vis jackets they're all gathered or police vetted and but they're, they're the ones looking after these kids here on the police, in, in the train station and have these kids have they coats to protect them against the cold have they got food they just, just walked they, they, they got off the, they, we were speaking to the, the, the girl who was running the show there and she said that they just got off the train with what they had in their backs and a small little bag and that was a lot oh my goodness that's so sad to watch so sad that's to see it. yeah well we're heading into work so it's going to get worse the closer we get we were so we had a, a couple of meetings down the way I was sent to the lads because they so I know myself and Dan there where, where we're used to it well, we're not, you never get used to it but yeah. we've been in this kind of situation before but I think it's going to get a lot worse you know we've been talking to people there at the border this morning and things seem to be this is a massive hole up at the border because when, when they opened the borders initially there was a kind of kind of a free there was an agreement that everyone kind of kind of roams free you could, the, the Ukrainian people could come out and if you wanted to help you could go in and, and help them but now they seem to have tightened the border I don't know is there some sort of um, have they got some um, fear that Maybe people that they don't want coming into Poland or not going into Ukraine. I don't know, but they seem to have tightened up the border. So sure. the, the weight in the border has doubled, you know. Right. So the plan is still, and this is the Cork City. You're from Cork City Search and Rescue. And of course, yes. you're with the Petty Dinners people. And you're, you're traveling under the banner of Cork Humanitarian Aid Ireland. Yeah. Now, you've got five sizable van loads and you're heading yep. in to meet. You're meeting the Redemptorists, are you? Yeah, we're tying up with the redemptors. So things, things keep changing, and it, as they always do in these situations, things, things keep changing. So we have direct contact with other people that that looking for this stuff. There is um, a cardiologist works in the hospital in Kiev, and she's been on to... There was a, we met English people here this morning, uh, a, a barrister from the UK, and his son had drove in with a Land Rover full of stuff to that particular hospital. They met This, this lady came out and met them. So we're, we're trying to liaise with her because... A lot of the medical stuff we have is, is, is hospital-grade stuff. And you, as you know, Kiev has absolutely been obliterated, the same as Mariupol and all these other cities that, that are supposed to have these humanitarian corridors that aren't opening. And if they're opening, they're closing faster, you can open them. Sure. So we're getting it live on the ground here that they're allowing busloads to go in, they're allowing busloads of supplies to go in, 
when the buses try and reload with the people to come out, the rushes are saying, sorry, Chief, nobody's coming out. He can bring the stuff in, but nobody's getting out. That's, that's that's terrible. Now, it's been a long, tiring journey so far. Have you had a bit of rest? Not really. We got uh, four hours sleep last night. As in, we, we landed up here at four o'clock in the morning. We're up again this morning at eight o'clock, getting all the bits and pieces ready to go, making all the phone calls and talking to the right people, hopefully. Mm. And, and are you uh, sleeping the in the wagons? That, are you sleeping in? We, 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 uh, what you call the first night we got, we went till... Three o'clock in the morning, we booked into one of the, I'd say the cheapest hotel I've ever heard of in my life there in Southern Asia in Belgium. Uh, which just on, it's just off the motorway. It's a small, tiny little hotel. I think it was 30 quid a night ahead or something like that. And then last night, we we ran into trouble. One of the hotels that we, we tried to stay in, which is about four hours from Tarnoff, decided that the booking, I don't know, to be honest, I wasn't even the booking of the hotel, but they decided to pull the plug on that. So we had to keep coming. So we stopped driving yesterday morning at half past eight and finished this morning at four o'clock. All right, all right. It's tough going, well, but you're driving on. So you're you're headed for the border now. As soon as we're off the phone yes. here, yeah, straight away. The minute you the minute you go off the phone, the ignition will be on and we'll be gone. Okay, okay. And like you, not only have you had very little sleep, you're seeing some emotional scenes. You've been there a few times, I guess, Christy. Like you said, you never get used to it, but you have some awareness of what you're about to see. People like Katrina yeah. and other volunteers with you. They've no idea what they're headed into, do they? I, I, t- I, I think they're starting the realisation, as I said before, as you get closer to these things, things change and the, the, the mood becomes a bit more sombre and people are starting to think a bit more about it when you're two and a half thousand kilometres from home, you know? Yeah. We have an awful feeling here, I think, Christy, when we see the pictures on the television and the newspapers, we have an awful feeling of helplessness. Well, geez, I tell you, I tell you, PJ... People of Cork can't help anymore, and all the people that donated that helped yeah. us with vehicles and all that. Then people can stand up and be proud. All the people that loaded the boxes and everything, because without them we wouldn't be here. Yeah, yeah. Well, you go continue. And this stuff to... will make a difference without a doubt. You go continue to do your wonderful work, and we will we will speak to you with any bit of luck on Monday morning's program. Uh, by then you may be on your Fingers way back. Crossed. And we, we will definitely talk. Fingers crossed. And, and whatever you do, whatever you do, and to everybody there, stay safe, lads. Stay safe. Not about it, PJ. Thanks very much, Mike. We appreciate it. Say hello tomorrow back in Cockford. Well, yeah. you've just done that yourself, Chris Donovan, uh, from Cork Humanitarian Aid Ireland. So they're about a hundred kilometres from the border, a place called Tarnav. All these kids, little kids, nobody with them, just the clothes on their back and a little bag, put on a train in Lviv, out into Tarnav. Nobody with them. Nobody with them. And that's the start of what they're going to be seeing. We catch up with them again on. On Monday, hopefully. Uh, where are we? Yes. Morning, PJ. Could you give us some mention on the programme? We're a group of Gary Duff tennis players called the Normas and the Abnormas. I love it. Tomorrow, we're holding a fundraising coffee morning, 10 till 12, in Longboats in Black Rock. It's all in aid of the Red Cross Ukraine fundraising appeal. So great to get some support. And that's from one of the Normas. Happy to mention that. A shout out, please, to Father Matthews Women's Super League basketball team. Played their last game of the season at 5 o'clock Saturday in the Father Matthew Arena at Model Farm Road. A donation bucket at the door for Ukrainian aid. And there's so many more of them. Uh, there's a big long message there from Jennifer. I, I might get a chance to read that before the end of the program. If you want to help out with our Red Cross appeal across all of the radio stations, we've got over 50,000 now, and that's down to you, and it's all going directly to the Red Cross. If you go to www.96fm.ie 
uh, forward slash aid, you'll be able to donate directly to the Red Cross some cash. 0818969696. I will hear no discussion. I am prepared to perish on this rock. It is the greatest comedy show of all time. It's as fresh and as funny now as it was then. And there's a. Now, it is not part of the original production of Faulty Towers. But there's a touring show that I've seen a number of years ago. It's back in Cork very, very soon. It's Faulty Towers, the hotel experience. Paul O'Neill, good morning. (laughs) Good morning, PJ. How are you? Very good, sir. And the abuse begins when you set foot in the bar. You don't hold back, (laughs) Basil. Oh, we do not hold back. We do not. Uh, just to quickly correct you, and I hate to correct you, mm. PJ, it's Faulty Towers, the dining experience. Yes. Although it is in the hotel, it's at the Metropole, through the Everyman Theatre, yeah. just yeah. a couple of doors down. And I know that it is a tribute to Faulty Towers rather than a full endorsement, or, or a full, a full, what you may call it, uh, Faulty Towers endorsed thing. But it's a tribute. That's it's right. A tribute it's, a, it's not. It's it's exactly. It's a, it's a tribute. It's not the scripts. We've got our own script in it. But um, yeah, it's a it's a very loving tribute. Yeah. Now you are Basil. <laughs> Go on. Yes. Although, Go on. Uh, I Go try on. To sort of get get a little bit out of character when I come home to my wife, so that she doesn't uh, mm. have to suffer that. Yeah. Otherwise, it would be. Yes, dear, all day long. I, yes. just, I don't think she could cope. Now, the first thing I would say, having been there before, Paul, is people should really, mm. should really dress up for this. Because if they're, if you, for example, you turned on me the last time yeah. about not wearing a tie. <laughs> yes, well, um, look, that's all in character, PJ. Don't worry. It's not, nothing is personal. You can come however you like. There are no rules. <laughs> um, but yeah, do, uh, you know, be aware that when you're looking at yourself in the mirror before you head out that evening that it might be commented on. That's all I'm saying. Go on. Go on. Get into character for a second. So I'm ringing well, up to book tickets. Is, PJ, it's, been a, it's been a long time, PJ. You know, we haven't been in court for ages, but I think you'll enjoy a bit of a dining experience with us. Mm. There is one waiter who we will try to avoid, but never mind. Yeah, He's the only waiter. <laughs> he is. He is. We do uh, get a bit of help along the way as well, though. Mm. So th- just and you, the- and you had us up, PJ, last time. You had us up into the studio. That's right. That's right. In those good old days when we could. Those, yeah, it was a few years ago now. Mm-hmm. So it is like for people who haven't sampled it before, and I know it's selling really well, but for people who haven't sampled it before, it is a full dinner, mm-hmm. a full dinner show, and the yep. performance continues through dinner. And it is in the style of Faulty Towers, in the characters of Faulty Towers, in the dining room Absolutely. of the Metropolitan. Where did the idea come from, Paul, originally? Well, originally it was uh, an Australian lady, Alison pollard Manser, who came up with the, the concept of it over 20 years ago over in Brisbane. Um, and it just sort of grew and grew and grew. It became so popular. It was over at Edinburgh Festival. Uh, and then they, I guess about 10 years ago... Uh, I joined the company when they um, got, got their sort of first British cast mm. and sort of made a base in London, uh, opened a, a, you know, a show in the West End, which has been running ever since. Mm. And um, there's a big troop of us now. There's about sort of, oh, I don't know, 10, 10 or 11 Basils, Manuels, Sybils, and um, go all over the world. I mean, me personally, I've 
obviously spent a lot of time in Ireland, but I've also been to Australia and the, where have I been? Uh, Spain. I've been to Papua New Guinea. Wow. Um, Sri Lanka. Isn't uh, it phenomenal, though, the, the, that a show, and there were only ever, was it 12 of them made? 12 episodes over two series, yes. Six in each series. Yeah. Only 12 and they were of them four ever. years apart as well. Yeah, that's Only right. 12 series, yeah. Only yeah. 12 of them ever made. And to be fair, when you look back on it now, it would <clears throat> never be done. You couldn't do it. You could not do it these days. Well, I mean, I don't know. You're, I mean, you're right. It's definitely of a time. Mm. But it's pretty, like you said before, it's pretty timeless. You know, there might be the odd thing that doesn't fly today. But on the whole, really, it's such a basic concept. It's a badly run hotel. Mm. And who hasn't experienced that before? Yeah. Have you had to um, tone down the, 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 the language to cope with modern sensitivities? Well, because the script has sort of evolved over the years through the show, it's, you know, it's, it's our own sensi- uh, sensitivities or sensibilities that, that come through. So, you know, it, it, there are nods and nudges and winks to, to, you know, old bits and bobs from the TV shows. Mm. But essentially, it's a new script. So I don't think there was really any danger of us um, flirting with controversy in that yeah, sense. Like the, you'd never get away with the major these days. <laughs> or anything like him. Some of the some of the things he says. Although occasionally we do get, uh, you know, uh, um, customers of a of a of a more advanced years mm-hmm. who may be dressed uh, in a blue blazer and might yeah. get dawned uh, or daubed as the major. Now speaking of daubed, um, <laughs> spillage is a risk. Although you do your best to avoid it. <laughs> Spillage is a risk. Yeah, I suppose it is a small risk, but a very small one. We're pretty, we're pretty skilled. I mean, personally, I've been doing this for ten years, and and I know that uh, Laura, who's coming over as Sybil, Laura Shepherd, and mm. Phil Oakland, who's coming over as Manuel, both very, very experienced in the uh, sort of delivering soups in a comical yet safe way. Yes. So I think you, on the whole, you'll be fine. You'll There's be fine. a scene, oh, there was, the last time there was a scene where he stumbles. There was a scene in the last time where he stumbled. And to this day, I don't know whether it was deliberate or whether it was <laughs> an accident, but he saved that oh, suit. That good. He saved that suit. <laughs> it was three inches. It was probably a bit of both, It was probably a bit of Probably a bit of both. It's it's one the enduring the enduring joy of of a show that is f- nearly fifty years old now. Back with us in the Metropole, uh, Faulty Towers, the dining experience in the Metropole. Book now through the Everyman, and it opens when Paul. Twenty uh, fourth of March. At least that's when we're arriving. So twenty uh, fourth of March, and I think it runs to the. First of April, okay. I want to say. We're also, I know that tickets are, are running low. We're also down in Court McSherry. Oh, very good. Uh, for anyone that's down there on the Sunday. So what's that? 24, 25, 26, 27th, I think that is. Very good. Down in Court McSherry. Uh, but otherwise, yes, go to the Everyman website or just go to the theatre and, and pick tickets up there. All right, listen, and I look forward to seeing it again. And I will say this, uh, you will struggle to eat. It is absolutely, hilariously funny. It's brilliant. Thank you, Paul. Look forward to seeing it. Faulty Towers, the dining experience in the Metro starting 
on the 24th of March running until early April. Thank you, Paul. Uh, selling well. Right, where am I going? Yes, Jennifer says, if anyone wants to help, they're still looking for supplies this weekend. Insulin, blood test meters, test strips, pens, needles, glucose, bags of jellies, glucogels, emergency supplies, battery packs. Now, and this is for Ukraine. Andrew from Repairit.ie has two collection points. One is at the Tramway Terrace in Douglas, the Repairit.ie there by the East Village. The other one is in Tatton House in Middleton. And then all the supplies will head out to Ukraine next week. And that, I think, is all I had. It is. That's it. It's been a busy day. Can we just talk? Opinion line on Corks 96 FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. You're listening to highlights from the opinion line on Cork's 96 FM. Hear the full show on our app by podcast or on 96FM.ie. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.